Well, welcome, and uh, if, if you don't know, we're starting a new series today, and uh, of course, I'm excited because I love Christmas, right? So go ahead and, and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Anyone here not excited about Christmas? Probably don't want to raise your hand if that's the case, right? That's be automatically titled a, a Grinch, and then that would not be fun. Uh, that's, uh, there's just something about the Christmas season, right? The songs, the feels, the gifts, the giving, the trees, the smells, the cookies, whatever. Uh, it, 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 it's just so special. It's just something we all are excited. So as I dive into this series and looking at the story, it's always an interesting process for me as a pastor because this is something we process year in and year out as believers in the world. In fact, I was thinking about this just a couple of weeks ago in one of my sermons. I remember I was editing my sermon and in each of my sermons, I always want to make sure to connect the scriptures to the gospel. Make sure the gospel is presented and pictured in the text because this Bible is about the gospel of Christ, right? And so if I'm doing what God has called me to do as your pastor each week, I'm connecting the scriptures to the gospel. Well, I think it was a couple weeks ago, and as I was editing the rough draft of one of my sermons, I, I noticed I had two blatant connections to the gospel, one towards my introduction where I shared the gospel, and one towards the conclusion in the invitation. And I I probably could have left both of them in there, and that wouldn't have been wrong, but as I was cutting down my sermon, I decided to make the connection just at the end as the consummation of the sermon, and so uh, I did not want to be redundant, so I found myself on my computer in my sermon highlighting and erasing what is essentially the gospel from my message, which sounds awful, right? Never a good thing, but it happens in the editing process and the sermon still contain the connection to the gospel, so don't gasp at me when, when you hear that. But it's still uncomfortable for me. It's uncomfortable to highlight a gospel presentation and then just delete it from your computer. And so as I was wrestling with these things this week, preparing for this morning sermon and the series, I couldn't get this main question out of my head. Why does Jesus matter? Now, Ultimately, we know that Jesus matters because he's God himself, right? Because he created the idea of matter. It's God in the flesh, right? There's no reason we don't make Jesus matter. But on a practical level, as we walk through this season, as we walk through some of the difficulties and the highs and lows of this season, why does Jesus matter? Why do we need to keep him at the forefront of our minds during this time? That's the question I want us to answer today. Why does Jesus matter? So as I'm processing through this week, I couldn't help to think about how as a pastor and as, as a church, Christmas can be a difficult season. Christmas series particularly can be difficult. It's really hard to be creative with something that's been stated over and over and over again, right? Every year. Um, when it comes, Justin and I sit down to think, how can we be creative with this beautiful story over and over again, it's amazing, but it's tough because you all basically understand it and know it, right? You've all seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special, so you get the gist of the season. So as I'm thinking through this, I'm thinking through this passage, I'm writing my notes, and I couldn't shake this uncomfortable feeling a couple weeks ago as I highlighted that gospel connection at the beginning of my sermon and then deleted it. And then I thought, huh. Isn't it interesting how often we can come to the Christmas season and just delete the gospel from it? Because 
It's, it's in the way we do things during this season, right? Most of our Christmas things don't stay up all year long, do they? Anyone in here super devoted to their Christmas tree? No, it ends up in a box someplace, and then it gets tucked away in the garage just waiting for the next year. How easy it is that come January 15th or whenever you take down your Christmas stuff, mine's more like around March 23rd, right, when we take ours down, not because, mostly because I'm lazy, not because we appreciate Christmas that much. When that time comes around, we just shove all these things in a box and it's out of sight, out of mind, and we move on to the spring ahead. How often do we treat Christmas in that way? That we kind of get used to the routines of the season and then we box it up, we put it away. And yes, Jesus matters, his incarnation is important, but it's time to move on to the next thing. We get caught in this cycle year after year after year. In fact, we do it as believers all the time. How often do we as believers come to church every week or Every other week, and this is a semi-normal thing for us. It's routine for us to be here. But has it become that way in our hearts too? I think we all have to answer the question whether we know Jesus or don't, whether we love Christmas or it's just become, eh, we have to answer the question of why Jesus matters. So I love diving into this passage for many, many reasons but anytime we get to talk about the incarnation, it excites me. I mean, and think about this. Remember, incarnation is just that big word that means the presence, the power, the holiness, the glory of God coming to earth in the form of a child. This story shouldn't be something that we can put into styrofoam boxes for the next year. This story should not be something we just delete away for all the glitz and glamour that the season brings. It's something we should think through daily. The importance of why Jesus matters as we experience Christmas. So open your Bibles. Hopefully they're open now to Matthew chapter 1. Yes, we are going to stand. Yes, we are going to read the Word of God this morning. In fact, let's go ahead and do that now as we just walk through the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. It's not necessarily what you'd probably think is a Christmas verse, Christmas passage, but it is. Look at what it says. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeram. And Jeram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah uh, and his brothers, and at the time of the deportation to Babylon. 
After the deportation of Babylon, Jeconias became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. Abidhud, the father of Elikam, and Elikam, the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad. Eliad was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methon, and Methon the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Generations. First Baptist Church of Great Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord is, endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Fathers, we consider, Lord, just where we're going with this text. And Lord, I'm sure our mind's just racing, thinking about how we often, we often separate um, this, what we do in here on Sunday morning, from the rest of the Christmas season. Lord, it ought not to be so. Lord, we should never separate from the idea of the incarnation. So Lord, would you help us understand why Jesus matters for us, why we should always keep him at the forefront of our mind, knowing, Father, knowing he's worthy, knowing he's God, but practically on a day-by-day basis, give us something to remind us in this season why Jesus matters, so that we can experience Christmas the way you would have us experience Christmas, as a reality to be at the forefront of our lives and the truth of the gospel each and every day. Lord, I ask for your help, and I thank you that you are faithful to give it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So yes, I read all those names, and yes, I said all those names how I wanted to say all those names. So I'm looking forward to all your corrections after the service. So leading into Matthew, essentially what we know is that there's been 400 years of silence from the Old Testament until now. The Lord has essentially not spoken to his people for a pretty long period of time, and he enters into this movement that this scripture has laid out, this genealogy, which if you know the word genealogy in Greek, it's taken from the root word, meaning genesis or beginning, something that is new, something that is unfolding. It starts, it's not just the beginning of anything, it's the beginning of Jesus Christ. So after 400 years, the words that we see coming into place starts with something new that's grounded on this person named Jesus. And so Matthew establishes some important things as we look at this covenant and this lineage here. We see that Jesus establishes his right to the throne of King David, not necessarily through the blood lineage of Mary even, but through the legal lineage of Joseph. He has an absolute right to the throne in a legal sense. So where Mary was a willing servant to be a part of this wonderful storyline, Joseph was established for the betrothal, and this was on purpose. When the Lord pulled these things together, there was a purpose behind each and every person involved. I want you to see something, because Matthew lists about 49 names here, I think. I counted two times, so that should be... Accurate, but it's actually not exhaustive. Believe it or not, it's not an exhaustive list. This isn't everybody who existed in those particular times, and I'm thankful for that because we might be here forever. But it is, it's been edited down, and many people think that this was for ease to be able for us to put this to memory so we can understand this lineage. I think there would be some purpose in understanding who the people are as it unfolds for us. 
So I wanted to get this picture, 400 years of silence. We now begin with Matthew unfolding the incarnation, the institution of Christ, correcting something along the way. This is a lot of people together in one sense, right? So let's just think about this. You guys love having your families in town all at one table? The Christmas season, isn't that a gift? That's super fun, right? You know, I, I started watching Christmas movies because it's after Thanksgiving. I can do that now, right? And I like to watch my top five Christmas movies of all time now, okay? And here's what they are. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, number five. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street, the old version, number four. It's a Wonderful Life, number three. Christmas Story, number two. And Die Hard, number one, right? There's nothing more Christmassy than John McClane taking down Hans Gruber at the Nakatomi Plaza, okay? Uh, but I, I started, and my wife was very upset while she was out of town. I started by watching Christmas Vacation, which is just a hysterical movie because I'm convinced Cousin Eddie is from Nassau County. I'm uh, just... <laughs> Absolutely convinced about that. And I love the, the table, uh, the scene at the table, right? Where I, at the beginning of the movie, you know, Clark Griswold, his wife tells him, honey, you always do this. You always have these expectations of a Christmas holiday season that nothing can ever live up to. And I just resonate with that, right? Because it's always the case for us. And so they're at the dinner table, the entire family's there, the matriarch of the family's there, the, the great aunt, and they ask her to say the blessing. You remember what she does? She Starts quoting the Pledge of Allegiance, <laughs> and uh, Cousin Eddie stands up, it's hysterical, and then Clark's out, he's got his carving tools, there's this beautiful turkey there, and he looks and says, Helen, if this turkey tastes half as good as it looks, I think we're all going to be in for a good treat tonight. And what happens, he cuts the turkey and it just into dust. The next scene, and they're all chewing this awful dry turkey, and they're eating the jello with the cat food in it, and there's just a level of dysfunction in that family that I think is why that movie resonates so well with us, because we experience dysfunction every day in our families, right? We, we know what it's like to have a dysfunctional Christmas because we're dysfunctional people. And let me just stop and say, if, if if you have some good family time, that's great. I would suggest that every, every family has a level of dysfunction to it. And that's normal because we're imperfect people. But before you, th you think that all the other people around your table are dysfunctional, put this into your mind. Maybe you're the one that's dysfunctional and everyone else is just responding to you, okay? I think we all have some of that. I guarantee you I'm the dysfunctional one at the page table, we all have this dysfunction, the dysfunction that comes into our families, but it's interesting. As you look through this text and you look through these names in Matthew chapter 1, there are over 47 names mentioned, some not given a name. They just say, and his brothers or the wife of over 42 generations unfolded in 17 verses from Abraham to Christ. And what's really interesting about all of these names is they're really are only a couple that we can even point out and say without a doubt their storyline looks like they're very faithful. One of those, only one of them, was holy and perfect, and that's, of course, Christ. But out of all of the rest of those names, we see high levels of dysfunction. When they came to the table, they brought a lot of issues with them. And it's interesting that we walk into the lineage of Christ, that the names that are mentioned are broken, sinful, dysfunctional people, every one of them outside of Jesus. Why in the world, when Jesus came, if he is understood to be the, the full deity of God in human flesh, the holiness of God in the form of man, in the form of a child, why not give us a better lineage to read? 
Why not line us up with the cream of the crop, the best of the best, and have him come through a line that is holy in and of itself? Be interesting to look at it. Well, the problem is there are none that are holy of themselves. Right? This genealogy seems to unfold a laundry list of unfaithfulness from the beginning of Abraham and the first covenant to this new covenant in Christ. Can we just take a moment and look at these names? I want you to understand who these people are and why I'm saying they're dysfunctional. There are a lot of names here. And these are names that we look to as Christians and we say these are the early fathers of the church, of, uh, the early fathers of scripture. These are the ones that we have known and heard stories about since we were young kids, since our childhood. These are the faithful ones, right? Not many of us look at Abraham and say, man, that guy was a wicked, awful sinner. We often look at Abraham because of his faith. We ascribe to Abraham because of his faith. David is called a man after God's own heart, the king. But let's just take a look at these names and these people. Abraham, Genesis 20, he was a coward and a liar. He, he told lies about who his wife was because he was afraid. He jeopardized her purity as his wife because he was afraid. Isaac, interestingly, did the same exact thing as his dad, followed the model of his father in Genesis 26. Jacob is just an interesting read in the story of Genesis. As Jacob doesn't seem to do anything right, right? He was a liar. He lied to his father. He was a cheat. He cheated his brother out of his birthright. He ripped off his father-in-law in Genesis 27. These are the good people. These are the people we often look at and say, these are the heroes of the faith. Rahab, she was a prostitute in Joshua too. Solomon was an idolater along with his wives and he had a lot of them, which is not okay. He worshiped false gods in 1 Kings 11. Rehoboam actually split the nation of Israel in 1 Kings 12. What was one nation, what God envisioned one nation became two. There's a mention here of kings and more kings, and all of these kings worship false gods. They were tyrants, and they were cruel to their people. Manasseh himself even sacrificed his own infant son for the purpose of false worship in 2 Kings 21. Judah and, uh, and Tamar. Tamar sold herself as a prostitute to give Judah, Perez, and Zerah in Genesis 38. King David, we all know as an adulterer and a murderer in 2 Samuel 11, the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, who was an adulteress in relationship with David in 2 Samuel 11. These are just some of the names. The laundry list of this lineage is insane when you look at it in that way. So then you ask the question, why does Jesus matter? Because Jesus came to die for those names, Jesus matters because we all serve the same level of dysfunction and we are in desperate need of a savior. Why Jesus matters, it's really good to walk into the season of Advent and think through the beauty of this moment. Even those times when we sing gospel Christmas songs and we light the candles at our Christmas Eve service, you recognize what it is that we come to worship at this time of year. But how often of us, we walk by the 10 or 15 nativity scenes you have around your home. By the way, make sure that the wise men are far away. They, didn't, they weren't at the nativity scene two years later, okay? They can be traveling, but not at the nativity scene. 
But how often do we stop and look at the, the wood or the porcelain or the plastic, whatever it may be, and we think that we are dysfunctional people and God sent Christ, that baby, to be our savior because we're in desperate need of him. How often we think about what that scene represents in our lives. Maybe some of us, we just pass by it because deep down we know that we are not worthy of it. How many of us rush, but we rush through this season because our families are just in crazy places and we don't have time to pause and consider this child that sits before us. Maybe we get caught up in the Christmas list and the shopping we have to rely to get done in the next two weeks. Anybody not started their shopping yet? <laughs> and then what happens, right? We rely on Amazon only to have them let us down and tell us it's not going to arrive till January 15th, even though we have Prime, right? You realize it's Prime for nothing when it comes to the holidays. We just rush into that. How many of us ever stop to pause to, to think about the opportunities we have in the Christmas season to tell everyone that it's about Jesus, how often we have uh, the, the mailman or the mailwoman or the delivery person from Amazon who comes to our doors on Sunday to deliver our gifts as an opportunity for the gospel. See, the world changes this time of year, but it rushes past so many things because I think we live in a world of dysfunction. We live in a world that's marred by sin, and we see that in verses 1 through 17. We live in a world that has lost why Jesus matters. We live in a world that is running past the powerful name of Jesus that moved and transformed the world. It's a tough thing. So I'm going to trust in those words in Isaiah that the word of God will not return void. I, I pray that the spirit will move in us in a way where we can, we can recognize that we're a part of this list we can put ourselves in the name of this list and go, I am one of those dysfunctional people. I am part of this list. I don't have it together. I can't stand in, a, in an objective, arbitrary way and judge the people of this list. I'm part of that dysfunction. I'm hanging out somewhere in the middle and, and hopefully I'm trying to hide behind one of the more confusing names because if I can just hide behind something along the way, maybe I can get through it. If I can just hide my dysfunction a little bit, maybe if I just buy my spouse the right gift, she'll forget all the rest of the stuff this year. Fellas, there's no gift in the world out there good enough for that. Maybe my kids will begin to think the right way if I buy them the right kind of gifts. Maybe they'll, they'll forget how I was an absentee father and mother because I'm putting the stuff of the world in front of me and them behind because I buy them the right kind of stuff. Even though my son just likes to play with the boxes way more than he does what's inside. But yet, we can continue to try and try and try. And friends, that's the point. It's not about trying harder this season. It's about seeing your list in the midst of a, uh, your name in the midst of a list and understanding the work that's been done on your behalf. Do you really do that? Do we stop to think about that, that you are a dysfunctional person in need of a savior? Have you done that? And maybe you do. Maybe you're sitting here saying, okay, you're telling me that Jesus matters because I'm a sinner that needs to be saved? I know that already. Okay. You know Jesus matters. You, you have that at the forefront of your mind. Let me ask you that. Is that what you're thinking whenever your Christmas traditions are frowned upon or are changed and altered? Are you prone to still thinking Jesus matters when that happens? Whenever, whenever the grandkids go to the in-law's house before they go to your house, Jesus still matter? 
Whenever the dinner doesn't come out just exactly the way you thought it was going to come, is the forefront of you being a dysfunctional person and Jesus being your savior still matter? When the Christmas bonus doesn't come in, when you don't have the amount of gifts you thought you were going to have for your children, is Jesus still the forefront of your mind? Does he matter? See, we can say it all day long, but the one thing that goes wrong, and we immediately abandon and delete the gospel from Christmas. Friends, if he is truly the reason for the season, then nothing's going to shake that. Nothing's going to cause him not to be the reason of the season. And so I want us to be at the forefront of our minds so that this, this Christmas, when, when our joy will not be shaken, people will know that the Sunday after Christmas, which is often one of the lowest attended Sundays of the year, will be filled because people will remember why they celebrated Christmas in the first place. They won't be worn out from all that the season holds. They'll be joyous in celebration and they'll want to celebrate even more. They'll never want to stop the celebration of Jesus. So yeah, we can say Jesus matters at Christmas, but how do we live so that that is a reflection of reality and not just something that's empty words? Keep him at the forefront of your mind in this time. I want us to take the rest of the time now to look at the promise of the most powerful name on this list, and that's the promise of Jesus. The promise of this name, Jesus, is incredible for us. I want us to hold on to these truths here. Let's think about this. Jesus, Yeshua, means Jehovah is our salvation. He is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. What is he saving us from? He's saving us from the fact that we are broken and dysfunctional because of our sin, that we're separated from a God who created us for a purpose of relationship to bring him glory, and there's nothing we can do to bring that back together on our own. For years and years and years, people tried to bridge the gap, and it wasn't possible. So God in his grace and mercy gave us his only begotten son to be born in a manger to save us from a future of hell. It's a, a harsh reality, but it's a true reality. Without Jesus, our future is dark, lost, and separate from a holy God for all eternity. Yeshua, he is our savior. He's not just named Jesus, he's named the Christ. He is our Messiah, holy one, anointed one, the only one in the list of names that could do what he did, the only one in all of those names who is sinless. The perfect lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. There is not another name on that list that could even come close. It's crazy to think they could all share the same lineage, but they do. The only one there, though, the only one out of the list, the only one that was fully man and fully God for the purpose of paying the penalty of sin is Jesus. Messiah. Anointed one. Chosen one. And then he's the Emmanuel, as we sang. I love this one. Meaning God with us. What? You see how we just say that and we just move right past it? What? Are you, are you serious? But I'm a part of that list. I am smack dab in the middle of the dysfunction. Why in the world would a holy God, a mighty God, come and stand before me, look me in the eyes and say, I am for you. I am with you. Go and sin no more. 
I'm, I'm for you. I am with you. Your sins are forgiven. You are healed. I am for you. I am with you. I will embrace you. I will speak to you through my word. I will be in your life. Why in the world would God be with us? Because we're so dysfunctional and broken. But he is. He's with us. And you would just think, and in many ways, you, you think he would come and he would just make a huge splash out of that. I mean, this is a God who has the ability to wipe any of us off the face of the planet at any moment, to shake the foundation of what we understand in life so much that honestly, I think it would be unfathomable for us to even grasp the reality of what he could do. But instead, he looked at his creation and he said, I am going to be with them. Friends, it's the power of the name of Jesus. He came to save and seek that which is lost. He came to correct our lostness, our separate nature of of, uh, our God because of sin. He came to stand in the gap on our behalf. He saw us in the midst of that list. And he saved us. And that's exactly it. Jesus came for people like those in that list. He looked at the prostitute and he redeemed her. He looked at the murderer, the adulterer, the false worshiper, the liar, and he said, I am coming for you to be with you, to redeem you. You can be as broken as you try to be, but I redeemed that. I came to reconcile you back to this incredible relationship to an almighty God. This is what I'm about. This is why I matter is unfolding truths of the gospel. And I I love there are so many things in this passage that point out this is just God's work. Look at verse 16 again. It says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. That's some distinctive work there. There's a distinguishing work of being involved in this story. This isn't a normal part of the list because everyone else was the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. Jesus was born by Mary and her husband was Joseph. There's a distinction in that. Something distinct about Jesus being involved in our lives, but the Spirit's work in us that sets apart from this list that changes the way things happen and unfold in our lives. And so, So here's something I want to point out. Just the story of the gospel. I want you to put your eyes on this list here and think about it. Where might you feel like today you're falling into the list of dysfunction? Well, you're falling into the list of brokenness in your life. Who is it that you identify with to say, I'm a a part of this list? Here is the beauty of being, being and placing the person of Jesus in the picture God's new covenant in Jesus is for his glory. This is why he came, for his glory. And that glory is for your benefit. His new covenant in Christ is for you. But the beautiful thing is, it's not based on you. It's not about what you do, but it's about who he is and what he's done. And friends, this is what he's done. He has given his life for you. He put himself up on the cross and then he defeated death by rising from the dead and breaking the bonds of the grave so that you and your brokenness and your dysfunction could have life and life eternally. And and all this will be fulfilled because his plan will be accomplished. He will walk to the end of his plan and fulfill it. That's a guaranteed promise we have to hold on to. And when we live in this gospel truth, 
When we keep this at the forefront of our minds every day, not just for Christmas, but every day, we understand why Jesus matters. So every time we walk by that nativity scene or we drive by a house that has one up front, every time we read through the story or go through the motions, that we may pause and be reminded that before we just delete the gospel from it, before we just pack it up in a box, that our experience of Christmas this year is answering the question that Jesus matters because he came to seek and save a dysfunctional people in need of a savior. He came to put us in a place where we can be in a relationship with God once again because of what he's done for us. Friends, it's a beautiful thing. I'm gonna close this morning just by reading Isaiah 53. You know Isaiah 53. It's a very popular text. It's a beautiful prophecy of what is to come. The power of of who he is the experience that we have in Christmas is grounded in these truths of the gospel that was written years before the manger. So I want to read Isaiah 53, and I just want you to to dwell on these truths and think of this. When you're tempted this season to delete the gospel from, from Christmas, you would know and see that's because of your dysfunction. And Jesus came to redeem that. So you'd be focused on him. Isaiah 53, it says this. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him and stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, Every one of us is in that list. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off, out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor there any deceit in his mouth, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. It's a promise. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Friends, God's covenant with you is not based on your faithfulness to him. 
but it should cause our celebration of him. It should cause us to think about all that he has done for us so that we can truly experience Christmas, keeping at the forefront why Jesus matters in it all. 